0: Now, here we go. Indie game business. Hey, everyone, and welcome
1: back. Get that off the screen for just a second. Next up, we have Ella Romanos, who is one of the founders at Fundamentally Games, one of the newer publishers on the block, although she and and Oscar have been doing this maybe even possibly longer than me, Um, but she's going to walk us through, you know, what is shaking and and how they are changing things on the publishing side of the industry, especially with so many new publishers coming in and constantly updating the models and making everything interesting and successful. Uh, They are a wonderful group of people. I will personally attest to this. Uh, And with that, Ella, it's all yours.
2: Thanks, Jay. So, uh, hi everyone. Uh, as I said, I'm Ella Romanos. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Fundamentally Games. We're a we're a living games publisher based in the UK. Uh, personally, I've been in games since about two thousand and eight, and I've been running studios, teams, and games. And I'm here really to talk about our journey to becoming a publisher, and specifically the approach we've taken to do so. Um, as Jay said there, there's a lot of publishers, new publishers coming up and I think it's quite interesting everybody gets to that point from a different journey. Uh, and I kind of want to talk a bit about um, how we got there, uh, you know, our journey to get into that point, um, some insight into how we think about publishing and kind of how we approach things and then explore what it actually is that we do as publishers. Um, you know, I think we we look at things in a specific way Uh, So hopefully by sharing that, I can kind of share some insight about, you know, if you are thinking about going to becoming a publisher, or if you think about working with a publisher, I would hope that um, some of the stuff I'll talk about will be interesting and perhaps useful. So um, I'm going to start right at the beginning where we both came from. By we, I mean myself and Oscar, who I think is listening in at the moment. So myself, I was actually originally a programmer. Uh, I studied programming at university. Um, And in 2008, when I graduated, I set up um, a game development studio with some fellow graduates. Uh, Yes, we were insane. Um, It was a work for hire development studio. We primarily made games for brands and other games companies. Um, In hindsight, we had no idea what we were doing at all. Um, We had no experience making games outside of university projects, nor did we have any knowledge of business. So we learnt through primarily mistakes and doing some things right Um, but you know that that really was a a baptism of fire into the games industry. Um, There were three of us initially two programmers and one designer and artist and somehow uh, completely unintentionally I ended up being the business person uh, which completely terrified me because I was quite happy being a programmer but I ended up absolutely loving it Um, and we grew that company for about seven years we ended up with about 25 people Um, And we made a huge number of games, most of them really small, a few larger. Um, But at that point, we were really looking at web games and some mobile, you know, in the second half of our time. Um, But, you know, what that did help me to do is deliver a lot of games and really get to understand how games are made, the challenges of being a developer um, and, you know, particularly as we started that business with no experience, we had to build relationships, network, skills, build a team, and ultimately find and work with partners in the industry. So I'm very much coming to this publishing as uh, having been on the other side of it for a long time. Now, during that time running Remode, I also started doing work to support other indie developers, um, just because I really enjoyed doing so. And, um, I founded a games conference called Xplay, which at the time was possibly the first indie focused uh, conference in the UK. Um, and as I was based in the Southwest of England, which is, um, it's not a huge games hub, although it has grown a lot. Uh, I focused a lot on supporting that community. And I hope that I had a small part in helping that to grow in the early days. Um, I also joined uh, UKI, which is the games, the UK trade body for games. Uh, I joined the board on that and I focused particularly on helping to support small and startup developers. I ran the developer subgroup and I launched projects such as we did like a contract pack of template contracts, which is still available actually to all members now. Um, And what that really started me down was a route where I realized how much I enjoyed helping and working with other developers to really build and and make sure that they can achieve what they're looking to achieve. Unknown to me at the same time, Oscar had been running and designing um, service game platforms from when they first existed, so really from the late 90s, so a bit earlier than me. Um, He was at Wireplay, which was BT's first game network, uh, which was one of the first game uh, networks in the world, I believe. Um, He can correct me if I'm wrong later. He worked at 3, the mobile network, where they launched the first ever mobile game in app purchase um, and one of the first ever ad-funded products. And then he became home architect at PlayStation Home, which was the first fully free-to-play console experience, and also one of the first community-based virtual worlds. And he then worked at Unity, focused on the ads side, where he focused on everything about data and ads. And quite a lot of you may have met him, particularly when he was at Unity, because he was their evangelist. So the the picture I'm trying to build here is that we both come from very different sides of things. But between us, we cover a lot of the bases of the things that you need to make and commercialize games. So how did we start working together? So after Remode, I started consulting uh, following my sort of passion of helping developers. And I focused particularly on working with developers on production, on getting games made, operations and strategies of the businesses themselves. Um, and I actually focused quite a lot on funding. I had raised funding at Remode um, and I went and did some training in this area. And I actually ended up not only helping developers to raise money, but um, But also actually working with quite a lot of investment funds and investors, uh, including running a loan fund for a few years and supporting various funds with finding developers, assessing them and overseeing projects. And I also worked quite a lot of brands. So that really built up uh, my experience uh, in a different way in the industry. Oscar um, had, coincidentally, not that we knew at the time, started also doing a lot of consulting. His area of focus was game design, monetization, retention, data, marketing. And he actually also wrote the book on games as a service um so you know both of us were working with a lot of different organizations and actually both of us ended up doing a lot of firefighting so often we were brought in to studios or games to help them solve problems that had come up and then we started collaborating on a couple of projects uh i think the first one that we worked on together was when i was um, overseeing uh some game investments that pinewood studios had made and i asked oscar to come in and do some market analysis and. Eventually, over a few years, that led to working together full time because we realised that between us, we actually had a lot of the skill sets needed to to essentially help developers with the full pipeline of what the, the commercial aspects of games. Um, and and so we started to build that. So then we started thinking about what you know, if we were to build a business beyond consultancy, what are the biggest problems that we see for developers and. And what the journey we had been both both been through before we started working together and then together as consultants was that we could see some of the most common challenges faced by developers in the industry, you know, through our own experiences and through what other people had, um, had shown us. So, and specifically, we um, had cons- our consulting had naturally started to focus on living games. It was obviously a big growth area. And because um, a lot of developers weren't used to it and because of our experiences, the need in the market... That was where we ended up focusing. And therefore, we were seeing specifically the problems around delivering living games. Um, And essentially, what we realized was that rather than just advising people what to do, them acting on it, or more often than not not acting on it, and then us coming in to fix it, we actually wanted to be able to work with developers to really actually help them hands-on, partner with them, and really optimize the games that they work on. At the same time, we were looking at the market um, and the commercial side of games, you know, we could see that there was a big market for PC and console slightly down, more than half the market being mobile, and that's a growing area. We could see, you know, that in terms of the support for game developers, there were mobile specific publishers, there were PC specific publishers, console specific publishers, and a lot of PC console crossover. There are a few that cover all platforms, but... Even then, they tended to be very biased towards one, or, you know, PC and console or mobile as their primary platform. And so the question that we asked ourselves was, if we want to help developers hands on, we're not going to compete directly with big publishers. Um, how can we differentiate and how can we solve problems that aren't solved by other people currently? And so the question was, what were those biggest problems? And there was three key things that really came out from the work that we've been doing. Firstly, for any living game, data is key. Now, actually, I would argue that no matter what game you're making, data is key, but that's another subject which I can rant on about for quite some time, but I won't. Um, For living games or games as a service, um, most publishers and partners require you to have data before they'll sign a game. I mean, why wouldn't they? You can get the data, it's there, and ultimately it's much better that they can see that the audience believes your game is, is good rather than just your word for it. Um, But the problem we saw is that getting useful data is actually really difficult if you don't know how. And a lot of game developers who are making amazing games with great potential were just being left on the shelf simply because they couldn't prove that it was good. Um, And actually, even if developers were self-publishing, a similar thing is happening because you still need data to justify accessing UA spend or any kind of scaling financing. And data has so many aspects, whether it's what data events to track, you know, a really common thing we see is that um, data events are in the game, but they're not the right data events. They're not actually things that are going to allow us to build a picture and a right combination of things to to really analyze it, to get as much information as possible. So also, you know, what data you can track legally is really important um, and considering your legal and moral obligations Um, and then analyzing the data. So actually, you know, being a good data analyst, which I am not oscar's pretty good um you know but to get that useful information out of it and then not it's one thing to get the data and analyze it but it's another to actually know what that data means so it's all very well your data showing you that day one retention is rubbish but actually being able to then work from there and make good and, and draw useful and hopefully correct conclusions about why is another thing and knowing how to iterate and use testing to get the right information, to give you the level of intelligence that you need is a real skill. Um, so we, anyway, we're seeing a lot of great games just aren't able to launch um, at all or launch and don't meet their potential because of this. In addition to that, to get really good data in the first place, you need to have, well, firstly, you need to have a great game. That's obviously fundamental. It needs to be fun. It needs to be awesome. And if it's a living game, it needs to be scalable. But you also need to have solid retention, monetization, and economy design. Now, again, as with data, a game can have amazing potential to become a living game. But the specific knowledge of how to optimize and really design something to be living is something that not all developers have. You know, They're often really good at making games. But if you haven't done this before, if that's not your background and you don't have a big team with that sort of knowledge, you wouldn't necessarily know how to deliver that, um, even if you can make an amazing experience. Um, The actual implementation and the detail of it is very complicated and it's easy to get it wrong. So, you know, commonly we see that monetization strategies are not uh, built around a properly balanced economy. Uh, Monetization strategies are limited, um, either because of just the, the scope of the game or because the developers fear upsetting the community or going into pay to win both very valid concerns. But they don't mean that you can't have solid monetization strategies. They just mean that you need to know how to implement it correctly. Um, Or a game that perhaps won't retain beyond day seven because there's not enough ability to keep users coming back, Um, whether it's thinking about what makes someone come back every day, making sure there's enough to do, making sure the purpose of regression is there, making sure it's unfinished business. I sound like I know what I'm talking about, but this is very much Oscar's area. Um, But the point is that, you know, there's so many things around living games that, if you design them from the beginning, well, early, it's, it's not actually more complicated necessarily than building a, a product. But if you don't build it upfront, and if you don't get those things built into the core design, then not only will it not reach its potential, but also it will be much more complicated and um, costly to, to put it in later. The third thing we saw was, uh, you know, live ops. So, you know, obviously with any living game, it's crucial to sustain and grow the game. You need live ops. So, you know, you need to have the data in place to provide insight and drive decision making. You need to have the game retention, monetization, economy to support the live ops activities. But you also need a knowledge of how to actually set up the game to support live operations, how to build a community that links into the game, and how to efficiently and effectively run live ops and scale the game. Now, this requires the skills, the processes, the knowledge, the resource uh, ongoing for the lifetime of the game. Uh, And as I'm sure it's not, you know, I'm sure this is not news to anybody, but a living game, really, the work begins the moment it's launched. Uh, You know, and I still and I think, you know, we're still as an industry, you know, making that transition in mindset in some cases from that being the starting point from rather than being the end point. Um, And because you're a small team, that's a big deal, knowing how to scale, what resource you need. To be honest, there's different skills between a live ops team and a dev team. Um, So making sure those things are in place. And frankly, if you don't, the problem is that if the game does take off and is successful, it can then fall flat on its face. So getting those things set up in advance is really important. So from all of that, we felt that the biggest opportunity and need for us as a company was to set to help with the running of live operations and getting the games ready for live, because that was the area that we didn't feel anybody else was doing. Uh, so in about uh, um, 2019, this is what we started looking at. And at this point, we didn't actually see ourselves as a publisher. Our goal was to fill a specific gap with live operations. We started exploring this through consulting, gauging interest, best approaches, and so on. Um, and really, what we started doing is thinking about well, what does live ops mean. And this is a question I get quite a lot. So we developed this uh, nice little diagram, uh, but you know, essentially LiveOps is centered around events. So whether it's a daily challenge or weekly event, a monthly theme, these are things that go, that keep coming in the game. You then have promotions, which essentially monetize those events and activities and elements within the game. The community activity, how do we communicate and build up rapport with the community? How do we use sentiment analysis to understand how the things we do in the game are received and use that alongside data analysis to really inform and drive decision-making. Data, so sentiment analysis on one hand, data analytics on the other, talked about that probably enough, but objective assessment of the performance of those events and promotions, trying to move from what we think as a team is best to what the audience thinks is best. Um, Content, so things that don't require coders that we can deliver regularly that refresh the experience or create anticipation, features, you know, hopefully small but functional changes, you know, you might have some smaller, some larger, that deliver a new way to think about the game, new things to do, um, all leading hopefully to growth. Uh, so the combination of the activity and the marketing activity that drives ongoing and increasing engagement, hopefully all that lead, all that th- builds retention, which leads to monetization and revenue. Uh, and ultimately, as we like to say, the whole focus of LiveOps is about getting more players doing more things more often and for longer. So on that basis, we thought we would do all of that for developers, help them to manage all that, get everything ready for it, and then run the games. So we raised some small seed funding, and we officially launched Fundamentally Games Limited. Um, We did this for around nine months. So this started about 2020, last year, early last year. We signed a few games, and we really focused on listening to how the developers and the market responded, Um, which, you know, is sometimes tough to do, but it's good. And what we realized was that... Whilst our theory that we could run live ops alongside either a developer self-publishing or another publisher, whilst in theory that could work and we were fine with it, developers actually wanted and needed one partner for the full package because they didn't want to have to negotiate and manage multiple partners. It presented challenges in terms of revenue split. And frankly, most publishers didn't want to work with us. Um, So as we had done before, we took a step back and we thought, well, if we're going to go into publishing, if that's where we're going to expand to, because that's what we need to do to deliver what we believe is needed for living games, what are the problems? And ultimately our assessment was based on this. Most publishers focus exclusively or primarily on acquisition, that's what publishers do. Uh, That's the history of publishing. And that comes because games were products and that's appropriate for product games. But for living games, it's only half of the picture. Living games need retention as much as they need acquisition. And in many cases with existing publishers, that's left to the developer. Whereas, you know, if, if they don't already have that in place, so they already don't have a solid process for that, the publisher may not be able to sign the game because it's too risky. If they do sign them, then it's the developer's responsibility. And as you know, as we've talked about, that's a real challenge. But you know, we were already covering the retention side of things through our LiveOps community activity. So basically to, to become a publisher we needed to add acquisition activities but we didn't want to just do that without thinking about it so this is actually the one of the mind maps that we did to think about what a publisher of living games should do so I mean there are some things that all publishers should need to do and some things that are specific to living games so what we were already doing was all the live ops stuff so that's the retaining users on the right the, the greens the green part there um, you know we run the live arts. we scout for games we advise on data gathering data data analysis we provide production and design support um, we have partnerships with other companies um, and so on um, but what we didn't already do and this is where publishing coming in is acquiring the users and what we realized is that um, we needed to provide what other publishers do so the first thing to do is assess that but we wanted to look at How acquiring users could be optimised if you're focusing only on living games. So, what is it that publishers actually do? Well, publisher operations. So they get the game ready for launch. They manage and report on revenues. They do packaging, store management, licensing. You know, obviously this is as the game grows, but it's really important where it's uh, where it's needed. Some dev fund, some don't. Um, If they do, some provide. There's always different amounts of money. They get involved at different points and so on. Uh, Platform relations is obviously a big one. They provide various tools usually to help manage the process Um, and obviously marketing. Now this was a particularly interesting area for us because we felt that marketing was the biggest opportunity for us to innovate and build our publishing arm to be specifically living game focused. Pretty obvious because marketing a living game is a bit different from marketing a product. Now. user acquisition is a key thing. I know a lot of people think about that as a mobile specific or primarily mobile activity, but it equally applies to PC uh, in different ways and with different balances between user acquisition and more organic marketing, Um, but it is nevertheless applicable to both. Um, And then obviously there's the other marketing, so PR, asset creation, influencers and content creators, cross promotion, social media, campaign design, store optimization, these become some of those are more important on PC versus mobile, but again, they all apply across all platforms to some extent. And and so our thinking was, how can we optimize, you know, non direct marketing and direct marketing UA uh, to be as data driven as possible and to really make it um, fit for purpose and 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 the most uh, strategic approach for living games. So after our analysis of what other publishers do with the market it, it did make us believe that there was a way for us to enter publishing um, and to fill a gap that was that was there and not to try and directly compete with massive publishers you know we wanted to provide uh, publishing specifically designed for living games that considered both retaining and acquiring users we wanted to help developers bridge the gap between believing they have a good game and proving it with data uh, and we wanted to do that in a way that works best for developers and their games um, I looked a lot of what other publishers are doing, and there, there were some that really inspired me. In particular, I saw a talk by uh, Paul from Greenman Gaming. Uh, must have been early 2020, just before uh, COVID hit. I think it was the last pocket gamer before before COVID. Um, he did a talk about their about flexible approaches and how modern publishing needs to be flexible. Um, I looked, at, you know, Team Seventeen have a great developer friendly and kind of supportive approach that I love. Um, Raw Fury release their contract and I love the kind of transparency of that. And then obviously there's also the sort of live publishers and organizations that focus on living games so Zepto Lab, Tilting Point, Decker, Network 3. You know, all of these really inspired us to think about, you know, where can we fit and where is it that we can add value to complete to provide a complete package specifically for living games. So what we ended up with was this LiveOps plus publishing plus UA. LiveOps is core to everything we do, but now we've augmented it with publishing and user acquisition funding and management, Um, but in a flexible package so developers can choose what works for them. Do they want us to publish? Do they want to self-publish? Do they want us to fund UA? Do they already have UA funding, but they need help managing it? Do they have a community manager and want to work alongside our community team, or do they want us to handle it all? We're open to all of those. Although, ironically, since we've launched this, not a single developer has not wanted us to do everything, uh, which is quite interesting. But um, but we are really open to working in whatever way works best for the game and the team. We get involved early. We already did this with LiveOps. But we've really expanded this. So we support developers by helping them with all the key challenges that they face. So all of the words I've used repeatedly, data, user testing, monetization, retention, UA, LiveOps, and actually, to be honest, anything else they need. So... Uh, recently, a developer needed to apply for tax credits. He hadn't done that before. I've done it a lot, um, so I helped him to do that. You know, we, we really are kind of a you know a support um, and help developers with whatever they need. Uh, we very much are focused on it being a partnership. Our focus is on a clear sharing of risk and reward, where the developer retains the IP, vision, and control of their game. We're responsible for live ops and publishing, and we get involved early enough to make a difference. Um, This does mean that we made the decision initially initially to not fund development, um, and we also don't handle localization in QA, which is very different from most publishers. But because of where we came from, because of the approach we've taken, those weren't the priority areas for us. Now, as we grow, obviously, that we're going to expand and look at other things. But we really tried to focus initially on, where is it we thought we could add the most value? And a key part of that is transparency. So in the entire way and process we engage with developers, We've published our heads of terms on our website, inspired by Raw Fury. Um, we provide very clear commitments. So um, this is probably from my time as a developer. But you know we commit to our responsibilities as much as we ask developers to commit to theirs. And we have a very collaborative sign-off uh, on decisions between the developer and ourselves. And what we ended up with is turning all of that into a flow. So this is the process that we take games through when we sign them. And it's really designed to maximize the potential of every game we work with. So um, what we have is these different stages that I'm going to talk through in a minute. But the, the key thing with this is that it's completely data driven. So our milestones are KPI based, not feature based. So we don't say, okay, milestone A is going to be completed when you've delivered these features. We say milestone X, the KPI for that is day one retention of 30% we're gonna to agree together that these are the features and things that we need to do in the game to have to be able to run that test. We'll test it and if we achieve the KPIs, we'll continue. If we don't, we'll think about what to do. And we start doing this from day one. So we actually run tests in the games at evaluation like before we even sign them. Uh, and we have a series of KPIs that we take the games through from the moment we evaluate them through what we call readiness, testing, launch, live and scaling. Now each each test has a different KPI and purpose So going from an initial indicative CPI, net promoter score, UX testing, through to retention, monetization, and ultimately ROAS, return on advertising spend, which is basically what we all care about, right? So how do we do that? So in terms of the entire process, uh, I'm just going to kind of talk through each step. So scouting, how do we scout? We reach out to developers proactively and passively. We have a full-time biz dev uh, team member who focuses on this. We go to as many events as we can currently digitally, hopefully in person next year. Uh, We engage on social media. We judge the big indie pitches. We do a lot of speaker events and mentoring, and we also use our network for word of mouth. Oh.
0: Indie Game Business has one of the longest running digital event series in the gaming industry with hundreds of publishers, investors, developers, and tech companies to meet with. All the sessions are always free to watch forever, and you can get a free pass to receive all the slide decks from all the speakers. The tickets for meetings start just at $50. Go to indiegame.business and use the code IGBPODCAST to get 20% off your ticket.
2: You know, we, we know that not all devs are ready to work with us right now. And also we know that we might not be the right fit for somebody right now, but actually what we're really um, keen on is long-term relationships. So, we're keen to engage and keep the conversation going with anybody who's interested in living games. And you know, if the game you're working on right now isn't a fit for us, or maybe it's not the right fit for you with us, that's okay. Let's carry on talking and see what you're going to do in the future. Um, but we really spend a lot of time making sure that we identify developers where we believe we can add most value and where together we can build something great. We're, you know, we're a small publisher, we're a new publisher. We know our strengths when we know our weaknesses. Um, if we don't think that we're the right fit for a game or a team, then we say so and um, where we do feel we're a right fit, and that we can help that team achieve their ambitions, then you know we try and grab that opportunity um, as best we can. So when we first talk to developers, we think it's really important to share knowledge. Um, you know, Where a game is a living game, we, we screen the game and we produce a report, which uh, we give to the developer and it has two purposes. One is that we have to do an internal screening anyway. It's what every publisher would do, but actually, we also see that if we share it with the developer, that's helpful for them. And, and that's helpful in two ways. One is that um, it helps them to understand how we feel about the game and how we look at games, which gives them some insight into if they're going to work with us, what is it that we're going to want to do? What do we like about the game? What are we likely to want to change? But actually, it also provides a hopefully useful insight into our analysis of the game. Because e- So even if the developer doesn't go with us or we can't publish it, hopefully they've got something useful out of it that's helped them to to get a free review of their game and really at this point we're looking at market fit so do we see where it fits in the market do we think there's an opportunity is there too much risk does it differentiate enough and critically and this is the bit that i see is missing in i would say the majority of pitches is that does the game design meet the uh, meet the market need so you know often developers have a great game design they might have analyzed the market but tying the two together it's quite difficult. And actually that's really the bit that, if we see that, that's where we get really excited. Um, obviously the game mechanic. We do expect that to already be a good game mechanic because we are not um, here to make your game for you. you are, you've are you got the vision, you're making a great game. If it's not fun when we play it for screening, we can't assess it pro- properly. It doesn't matter what we do on our side to make the best live ops process in the world, the game isn't gonna work. Um, and then we give a lot of feedback on retention and monetization. So we assess them where the retention mechanics are right now. And we often make recommendations on, you know, what we think they need to do going forward on that side. And the same with monetization. So, you know, often at the point developers submit a game, they're often exploring options or open to ideas. And often monetization is the biggest area of discussion of, of where we want to go. And, you know, particularly with monetization, it can be a, a sensitive topic. So, you know, it's very important that we share our vision you know we have very um, specific things we don't want it to be paid to win we want people to only pay for things they value um, and we want to get that across to developers but also we want to make sure that the game makes money. Um, once we've done the screening um, whether or not we look to proceed um, on publishing we try and provide ongoing support by bringing them into our um, growing game development community. Um, And this is really important to us. So this is kind of, I guess, comes from mine and Oscar's love of of supporting uh, developers. Um, But we really believe that by sharing knowledge to and between as many developers as possible, uh, we're helping the industry, but we're also, frankly, building a reputation and relationships with developers. Um, You know, even if we're not looking to work with someone right now, if we can help them make a better game and then work with them in the future, that's great. Um, So we we encourage everybody to... engage with our community so we can support with them longer term. We actually also find that we learn so much from talking to developers and discussing their challenges. And, you know, that's been our entire ethos of starting this company. So it's so important to us that we continue to learn, we continue to help people solve problems and, you know, engage with as many developers as possible so that we can, um, we can help, you know, learn ourselves and help them to learn. And So in practice, what we do this through, um, every month we have a topic. This month, it was my month. uh, And I focused on top tips for starting a game studio. So other months, you know, Glyn, our design director will focus on game economies or Oscar will focus on data or whatever else it is. And we'll we'll write an article, which we publish. We do a free webinar every month on that topic. And then we do an Ask Me Anything on our Discord. Um, Our Discord is kind of what we're making our our center point. So, you know, developers can join that, ask us anything. and then we have the knowledge base on our website where we post all of the content we create. We've got a ton of content that Oscar and I have created previous to this, so that's all on there. And then we've actually also got a financer list, which actually is something that we created before we started Fundamentally Games. But we think it's really useful because financing is just such a big challenge um, to have a list is, is useful. But ultimately, you know, we think it's really important to demonstrate that we want all developers to help each other make build better games for players. Um, Because actually, that benefits the industry as a whole. um, And us as part of that, you know, collaboration is key in a creative industry. And I think, you know, every organisation should be trying to find ways to collaborate and support their community and other developers, uh, you know, because ultimately, we will all win through that doing that. So once once we've done a screening, if, if both the developer and ourselves think that we want to look at publishing, then we proceed to evaluation. So this is this is this is the um you know the more technical bit. We dive into all the details. But the key really is that we want to make sure we set expectations between us and the developer of who does what, of what the process will be, and of the expectations for the game. Yeah, you know, this process does take a bit of time. We're very detail-oriented. And. Um, but we believe it's really important that both parties are transparent and clear to start off on the right foot. So, you know, within it, we look at the team, the company, the revenue potential, the market fit, the game itself, the risks, and what we feel the overall opportunity is, and what the value add is that we can provide. So, assuming that we sign the game, um, we do what we we go through what we call readiness, um, which is basically us saying. This is the minimum that we think needs to be done to the game before launch to give it the best chance of commercial success. Um, But we know that development takes time. So we really focus on the minimum amount of work necessary. The great thing about a living game is that if you can get a designer to see that they never have to throw away their ideas because they might be able to do them later, it's a really good place to be. Um, So we look at the core game mechanics. Now, usually this is pretty solid because as I said, we're not here to design the game. But we do make some recommendations, particularly where they link into all the other aspects of the game, so retention, monetization, social, and so on. Um, the retention, the context loops, so, you know, what needs to be in the game to make sure we can retain users, you know, on day one, on day seven, so we look a lot of, like first time user experience, and then we look at, you know, what, how the sense of purpose and progression, the balancing, um, you know, what creates a sense of unfinished business, you um, how do we make sure the game fits the lifestyle, uh, fit, and mode of use of our target audience? Um, we also look at monetization and economy design. This is obviously usually a pretty big one. Um, looking at the sinks and sources to build a full economy that's balanced. Um, Glynn, our design director, has a great did a great webinar on that actually, which is on our knowledge base. If anybody's interested, um, data. <laughs> as I've talked about several times, but you know, we, we're very specific. We, we guide on what data events need to be gathered, how they need to be gathered and so on. Uh, LiveOps, we say, you know, we define the server side configurations that we need, what messaging and other elements we need to building in the game itself. Um, and we advise on DevOps. You know, we don't run the DevOps, but we do need to make sure that the developer knows what they need to do to support the scaling of the game. And we do actually have partners that we can um, put them in touch with to help them with that. But so we're kind of really focused on all the things that make a living game. Um, But all of these things are our advice. They're all agreed and discussed with the developer. We never go in and say, you have to do this, but we say, this is what we think, this is why, and then we discuss it and work out with the developer what, what works for both parties. Then once the game passes readiness, we put it through our UA testing program, which we we think is kind of a bit of our our secret sauce really. So we put the game through a series of market tests, each have a specific KPI target, and we provide feedback and analysis each stage. If the game doesn't meet the KPIs, we talk to the developer about why, and we work out together how to resolve it. But ultimately we all want to know as soon as possible if a game isn't going to work. And if it isn't, then we discuss together and agree what to do. And this is really hard because it's really hard to to, to kill a game, but we all know that we need to do it, but it's still really difficult to do and even to talk about. Um, I always get nervous talking about this and talk because it's so sensitive, but ultimately um, nobody wants to spend money or time on a game that's going to fail. We'd rather that you know that now and then um, rather than when the game launches, Um, you know, and if it doesn't work, then we can look at what to do together next. But through this whole process, we share the data, KPIs, KPI target insights with the developers. Everything's completely transparent so they understand how well the game is doing and what that means for its potential scale. We also fund the user acquisition costs of the testing. Um, The output of this whole testing program is data. So it demonstrates the potential for the game, which is what justifies the launch and the marketing and UA funding of the game to scale it over time. Throughout all of this, we're setting up the game to run in LiveOps. We're testing the running of the game in live. We're getting it ready for launch, building up community, preparing, starting marketing activities, and making sure that the developers have got their DevOps and their content and feature processes in place, ready for live. Then we launch. Ultimately, this is about creating momentum based around awareness, interest, desire, action, and retention. So it's really integrated marketing combining all the lessons we've learned from testing, where we've optimized the messaging and targeting, we've been building and seeding a community, and now launching is really about capitalizing on all that. Then we scale the game. So running live ops, analyzing data, providing insight into what works and what doesn't, working with developers to advise on content and features, whilst we focus on events, promotions, community, ultimately creating a cycle of continuous improvement and growth. Uh, the developer creates the features and content. We advise on what should be created um, based on our insight. But again, it's always very much a discussion. Um, and we, we manage the game proactively. So we're talking about you know, a regular cadence of daily, weekly, monthly activities. Um, if you ever see a talk by Oscar, he will guaranteed say the predictability, not volume, is the key to LiveOps. Uh, the risk is getting into a content-heavy treadmill that you can't sustain, uh, which is why we very much focus on server-side configurations as much as possible. Uh, We optimize the audience that we can acquire directly and organically by leveraging the LiveOps messaging. Um, And obviously we use our UA funding to scale the game. We decide how much to fund each each month based on the previous month's data. And we agree all of that marketing activity and spend with the developer. So that's where we are now. Lastly, but definitely not least, constantly looking at what other challenges developers have the market changes developers changes you know this market this industry just doesn't stay still so we're always looking at what other gaps we can fill now this is something that's always evolving And, and to be honest right now our focus is on getting our first games uh launched over the next few months but just wanted to talk a bit about what's on my mind now in terms of you know what we're thinking about next so firstly production funding so You know, we see it's very difficult for living games to get funding, particularly on mobile. But actually what I think is really interesting is that a lot of devs do manage to fund a game, but the the cost to turn that into a service, to get it through testing, build out the content and features, support it into this revenue sustaining, is an additional challenge. And it's also an additional unknown for a lot of developers. And and speaking to developers, I often find that that's a blocker. It's the, the risk, the unknown, and the cost and time that it takes to get to turn a game into a living game and then support it into it's revenue sustaining. So for me, that's quite an interesting uh, space to consider funding. Um, legal, so very Driver, data protection laws, advertising rules. There's a lot of restrictions and legal requirements that are difficult to understand, but it's a big area that's really expanding and is getting increasingly problematic and challenging. But a lot of devs aren't aware or don't understand, or frankly, aren't paying attention enough um, in fact, I think last month Oscar's uh, theme of the month was about this. Um, so we've already started putting in place support for the developers we're working with. We guide them on making sure that they comply um, with these things. Um, but we're also looking to share that information with our community and you know make sure that knowledge is is spread uh, to as many developers as possible. Um, we did actually do some work with one of the UK regulators, um, which was was interesting. But actually, our primary reason for doing that was that we thought it was a really good way to actually genuinely learn about how they want it to, to be. So that's really helped us through that piece of work to advise developers more. And then the other thing we're interested in is the metagame side of things. So, you know, some games, but not many, are being really smart with social interactions, influences, mode of use and player audience. And. Um, some really great examples, but it's still an area that's growing and it's still challenging for a lot of games. And a lot of games aren't necessarily optimizing that. So this is something that we're constantly learning about and um, we're really um, focusing at the moment on how to find great solutions for the games that we're working with. And that is it. Are there any questions?
1: Yes. Yes, there are. Cool. All right. Um let me remove that so and, and so you can see as well. We got a couple of them coming in from Discord. Um, when developers pitch to you, what are the key things that you want to see upfront and and first? If they're focusing on one thing, what would it be?
2: A playable. Like that's all I really. We we so basically, when you submit to us, you submit a playable that will go to our design director, and he will play it. Uh, he will do the screening review that I mentioned, which we share from that build. If if that goes well, we'll then look at pitch decks and stuff like that. But to be honest, we just want to get our hands on it. And ultimately, we want to see two things. One is that it's a really fun core game. And two, we want to be able to see if we can't see that it's a, the all the living game elements now, that's OK. But we need to be able to see and understand how it's going to become one and how it fits with the market.
1: All right. And so going back to, let me pull this one up from Discord as well, those KPIs that you mentioned, obviously a lot of developers don't even know how to get those because we see it all the time. You know, that's, I agree. The first question that we're going to get from any publisher is, so what are the KPIs? It's like, oh, they don't know. They haven't run this stuff. How can they cheaply, you know, effectively get this sort of data to pass along to you all?
2: Yeah, I mean, so you know, we if you're pitching to us, we're happy to get that data. So we will run some of those tests initially. But you know, in most cases, if you need to get that data yourselves, um, there are, you know, you can get particularly the early stage data pretty cheaply. So if you want to get an indicative CPI figure, you know, you could do it almost before you make the game. Make a trailer that looks like the game. Look at how to, you know, create a trailer that, that gets people excited with calls to action, you know, typical marketing stuff. Um, as I call it, as Oscar would, would say, marketing expertise, but um, <laughs> but create a trailer, put it on Facebook, have a budget of 150 quid, 50 quid a day, uh, direct it to a website where people can sign up to a mailing list and see how many clicks you get.
1: And, and I can attest to as well when we do testing on Twitter ads and stuff for this, you don't, you can spend 50 bucks and yeah. you're going to know immediately whether or not it, it works or not. It, It is daunting to go in and deal with the ad stuff on Facebook and Twitter, but um, we're going to have Chris tomorrow and he's going to be covering all of that and answering questions. So if you need that, just tune in tomorrow.
2: And and the the Uh, other thing that you can do, I was i to say the other test you can do quite cheaply is what we call a net promoter score test, but essentially you're testing the first 15 minutes of gameplay, you know, so you can use something like Playtest cloud or, um, there's one that works on pc that's completely slipped my mind but they're online testing platforms i think it costs between 50 to 100 dollars per player uh, and even if you just get five or six players um playing the first 15 to 30 minutes of gameplay you will get we have found you get really good insight it's not quantitative because it's not enough people but actually it gives you really good qualitative insight and it will tell you you know for that first user experience for that day one you know, some core issues. And we've found that every time we run it, it's really useful. So that you can do, you know, if if it's, you know, you can do that for a few hundred dollars.
1: So this comes up a lot in a lot of the other games, and it is more on the PC side than it is on the, on the mobile side. But where do you all fall when it comes to, are you wanting to look at games that are in early access that are not in early access which one i mean are you okay with that or if it's been launched already if it's been quote unquote launched already do yeah, you
2: not no, want to see it no we we actually don't mind um we can work with games that are launched we can cert- we are working with some games that are in early access um the biggest challenge is if the if it's been launched or in early access but hasn't been if if it hasn't been maintained properly, properly and the community is is negative, that's it's not impossible, but that makes it more challenging. Um, it's almost better if it, you know if if you've either got a small community but who are you know really positive, or if um, you know I mean, frankly, if a game's been launched on, an app, on a mobile app store and it hasn't really been paid attention to, then there's no harm done. Um, so there's no kind of um, you know we we absolutely can look at turning games around that you know have been launched but not done not achieve their success. So there's no, there's no the only thing for us really is that we've already we've got that playable.
1: Is the is the is a video before the playable helpful or is it just seriously just straight to the playable?
2: Yeah if I I mean look, I'm not the one that does the screenings but Glynn just wants to get his hand on the game. That's it. He's just yeah, like He's the game let me play it um, that's it. Don't care. Because if he then says that the game fits, he, he does the screening which we share and he thinks there's potential then I'll start looking at the pitch deck and more of the details. But ultimately like our first thing is, did he enjoy playing it? Do we think it's a good fit? After that, everything else follows.
1: All right, I'll admit I, I was tied up in, in other stuff in the middle of this. And so you may have covered this, but I didn't catch it. One of the things that you all do well, and that really makes you stand apart in terms of, you know, from my standpoint of looking at publishers that we pitch up to constantly, is the report that you generate after something's gone through development. Can you did you touch on that? I'm sorry.
2: The is this the screening report or the evaluation? Yes. The, the evaluation screen, report. The 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 PowerPoint PDF.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, so that's the one that Glenn does when he's done his review um where we look at like market fit, uh, retention, monetization and the game design.
1: That is just absolutely, fundamentally, one of the best things that I see coming back from a publisher, because so often, you know, you don't get a response. You, developers submit stuff, they don't get a response at all. But when it gets to that level of your evaluation process, that is something that stands out that is really, really cool. And and I know our clients and the developers that we work with have always appreciated it. Uh, and it just goes to show that you all are here, to care a little bit versus just shoving another one out the door. All right, so we've got a a long one. I'm gonna put this up in phases. What you're showing so far is super interesting, especially since most publishers seem to be kind of scared of of signing live service games. But especially for indies, there's a big problem I'm seeing is that's in the funding. You can do a lot of market, but if we're not able to pay the devs we need for growth, we're still going nowhere. How do you tackle that issue?
2: Yeah, I mean, look, it's a con- I mean, it, it's been the issue in games forever, right? And I think it will always be the challenge in games. The reality is that, um, you know, organizations that fund, whether it's an equity financer or a project funder, they're not there to take all the risk. They're not there to, to take the risk off you and just let you make your game. They're there to look at financial opportunities and find things that, you know, are a good opportunity for them as well as you. And I think... Um, that makes it very challenging because until you've got something where the, the financier can assess the fact that the game has potential, why would they fund it? Now, if your team is incredibly experienced and you've had five successes in a row, then yes, they can probably look at a pitch deck and say, you know, okay, if you're Mike Bithell or, you know, you know, they can look at it and say, well, okay, well, I can hedge my bets here. You know, there's a good chance that this is going to be successful. But if you haven't got that track record, which most developers haven't, It's very difficult, and you've got to prove. um, And this is why I say about data, and I believe that it applies to products as well, because if you can change the conversation from I think my game is good to my audience thinks my game is good, you're in a very different position. And as soon as you can say that to a financer of whatever type, then it changes the game. The challenge is that a lot of developers don't know how to do that or don't do that. So I think... um, my view is it's twofold one i think that you know if developers can get better at data that's good but actually there is still an issue on the funding side um i believe we need more um prototype funding i think uh you know callum underwood's uh stuff he's doing with thunderfall recently they announced they're launching a prototype fund that's incredible um we need more of that but it's incredibly high risk um and i think we need you know i think it, there are certain gaps in the funding market as i talked about i think for me one of the interesting areas is if you've got you have got the core game to the point where it's fun but you can't afford to take it through testing build out all the content and feet you know for live that's an interesting gap because by that point you have got data but i don't see many people funding that area so I, I think there are i think there is a lot that we need to do like in financing but i also think there's a lot that developers can do um, it's something I'll, that we said it's something we're really looking um at and i'm i'm very interested in as we grow and uh, looking at how we can solve
1: uh, problems in a potentially different way so garrett asked how can developers reach out to you and your team and i posted that over in youtube but it's very simple www.fundamentally.games it's almost as easy as indie games.business it's (laughs) very simple there so what about games that can only be played with multiple players
2: are you asking whether we do those or whether that's a? So, I mean, we, we're, you know, we sign any game that's a living game in theory, so we're interested in games where they have to be multiplayer, that's, the, the, there's challenges with that, you know, getting to critical mass, um, you know, there's various ways to address that, so there are challenges with it, but um, ultimately, you know, it, it's, there's nothing wrong with it, it's just addressing how to, how to mitigate those risks.
1: And Oscar reaffirms the fact that you all uh, love multiplayer, so...
2: Uh... <laughs> Does he? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would say that actually, you know, for us, social and or multiplayer, I mean, one or the other or both are essential for a living game.
1: So from YouTube, at what stage of the game should developers start contacting publishers?
2: So I would say, so I can tell you what I used to do. I can tell you when you should contact. So we 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 love to talk to people early on. And actually, if you, we won't be able to put it through screening until you've got a playable. But actually, that doesn't mean you shouldn't reach out to us and start a conversation because actually, the more we learn about you and the you know ultimately right, people do business with people they like. That's just the reality, whether we like it or not. It just is, right? So Mm -hmm. building relationships is really important. And I would honestly say, I don't think you can do it too soon. When I had my studio, um, I used to literally go to events and if I didn't have anything to pitch, I'd literally message a publisher or a finance and say, look, I don't have anything to pitch, but I'd love to catch up because I'd love to find out what your priorities are, what you're thinking about, what you've been doing. And, and, you know, see, because that's really helpful for me to understand, you know, what we might do in the future. I don't think I ever had anybody say no. You know, so i would say there is never anything too early but it's about what you ask what what you're talking to them about
1: it's because these really are a break for your brain it's,
2: it. <laughs> if it's really early and you don't think it's ready to pitch right email them and say is there any chance i could show you my game to get your feedback on where we should go before we actually pitch very few so, they know i think
1: And keep in mind, there is still plenty of time and and Ella and Oscar are on the business slate at this conference. So if you grab one of those passes and use the code friend of IGB, it'll get discounted, Uh, but you can actually queue up a a meet with them today or well, probably not today, their time, but tomorrow. Absolutely. So yeah. Um, All right. So we've got about five more minutes. When it comes to the demos that you see. What is the biggest mistake you see developers making
2: in the in the builds? Mm-hmm. That's a good question. Um, so, oh, there's several. I think the the biggest thing is what we need to see is what Oscar loves to call the minimum viable promise. So it's really difficult with a demo and I know one of the challenges and I used to find this is you know the publishers would say oh you know the, the build isn't far enough along yet or and you'd be like well what do you want to see right what what, what? um <laughs> and um and it used to drive you up the wall I'm sure it drives every at all but um I think the thing is like what we're trying to see, and I'm still finding a way to explain this, because I used to get annoyed with it. And now I'm asking for it. And I still can't explain it properly. But basically, what we're trying to see is the minimum viable promise. So what why in like 15 minutes, I need to play it and be like, Yes, this is why players will play it. So if your game is a narrative, um, you know, if you're making the next journey, right, then what your demo needs to show me is that feeling. In that art style and that, you know that. It, but if you're making a multiplayer game that is all about battling goblins, then you need to show me why that, that moment is going to be fun. And if you're making a game that is as much about audience as player, then show me how when I'm killed, it's hilarious and I'm going to want to share that. So it's like it's it, it. That's why publishers can never define it because it's never the same per game. But it's like, what makes your game awesome? And also, don't make me don't make it difficult for me to play it. So, if the controls aren't obvious, tell me what they are, etc. I'm gonna you find. Can't. I am going. To, one day, I will find a way to explain it better.
1: You, you can't. <laughs> I say this all the time.
2: Okay. So the other sure. thing, about it, right, is if 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 you gave if you were on the other side of it, look at your game. And go. If I played this for 15 minutes with no knowledge, would I go? This game is awesome. I can't not sign it and that just depends on the game because some games a gray box with just programmer art is fine because actually the gameplay is something else that you know but it 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 just depends
1: and that was going to be my next question where where does it fall on the how pretty does it have to be to be a prototype because
2: It it does really depend like I think that I do think that you know, particularly for us, because if we sign up, we're going to want to run CPI tests and stuff fairly early. Like it does need to kind of have some element of looking because the theme and the art style do matter for the audience. So I do, but you know, it might be that you don't have it all implemented. You might be have concept art, um you know. But it, yeah, so it is a difficult balance. But I think you know, I mean, look for us if you contact us and it's not ready we're going to tell you why it's not ready and we're going to try and say what we'd want to see um i think hopefully most publishers would do that but again i think starting a conversation on the basis of okay well starting a conversation on the basis of what you know what would i what this is where my game is now i'd love your feedback to know what i should do next and then you'll probably get different advice from everybody and, and be left just as confused <laughs>
1: It, it is. Given the you know the blessing and the curse of COVID and the move to digital is that, yes, publishers are more accessible, but it also means you're less likely from the majority of them to hear back when you submit a project. Yeah.
2: I mean, I would say this, and I know this is like probably not helpful and really frustrating, but I'm going to say it anyway, is that this is your game. And, you know, whilst you hopefully, you know, if you work with someone like us, we'll be giving you advice to optimize it and to make it better it is still your game. And so, you know, you're going to get a lot of different advice from a lot of different people, I would say don't feel you have to take it, try and understand why they're saying it. But actually, the direction they're suggesting, it's okay, if it's not the direction you want to take it, that might just mean they're not the partner for you. But you know, I think I I very occasionally see developers that kind of take their game goes like this because they're trying to respond too much to feedback. So I think there is a, there is a balance um, of knowing your vision, but also being open to considering how you can improve it.
1: All right, we've got to jump to our next one. Ella and Oscar are on the Discord. And so there's a post sessions chat uh, that you can continue to ask questions. Ella, thank you so much for coming on. And I do, I absolutely love the background back there with the, with the map. Um, I'm gonna kick it over to Indy and our next session is on, it's a panel roundtable AMA ask questions on how to successfully work with investors.